You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good to be back with you guys after um, a week of travel, talking today about giving and receiving the power of connectedness. Uh, returned back from New York City on Tuesday with very little of the drama that it took to get there. Oh my word. Uh, a week ago Friday, everything you hear about the chaos of the airlines is minimizing it. It's way worse than they're telling you. And I ended up, originally I had a flight directly to uh, New York City. And that was the night before I left. And by the time I actually got there, I had been booked on eight different flights. I'd bounce, I would literally go from gate to gate going, you know, where can I go? And how can I get to the next spot? And by that evening, we had made it to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is technically nowhere near New York City. And there were two flights out. One kept going later and later and later and went to White Plains, which people in New York City don't even know where that's at. And, but I found one that was going to Newark, leaving in five minutes. And so Cadence and I went to the gate. And uh, we walked in on an HR nightmare. The, the, uh, the, the gate staff were like almost at each other's throat. And I think somebody got fired on the spot. It was a little hard to tell. And when the manager looked at me, I determined to be the happiest person he had seen in the last hour. And I said, all I want is if you'll let me on this plane. And he, he brought up our, our uh, itinerary. And American Airlines had booked us on new flights over and over again, but never really taken us off the other flights. And he looked at this, he says, I can't even tell you where you've been. I said, well, I'm here now. And if you'll let me get on that plane, I'll go away. You'll never see me again. This is like the easiest, <laughs> easiest decision in the world. And he's like, okay. And so we got on it. We made it to Newark, had a, had a fantastic trip. Um, traveling and preaching in, in churches have been a part of kind of what Kelsey and I have done really for the last 20 years, although we've done significantly less of it in the last couple of years. And I had forgotten, actually, some of the real practical good that comes from it, even for a host church. It is good to let your pastor out in the wild once in a while. It's really good. Because the Lord puts different emphasis on different congregations, and you make a deposit where you go, and you actually bring stuff back. I mean, you guys, you've traveled a lot. You know this. You go, oh, it's bigger than we thought. It's actually better than we thought. And we know some stuff we didn't know that we knew when we got there. So last Sunday, really, the bridge made a deposit in this little life center. This is a little church right down in New York City. I mean, in Manhattan, the lower part, about 100 feet off Wall Street, is this little church. And it's about the size of the bridge. And so they were fascinated with the life movement. They were very well versed in the value of both amendment and what... Uh, what Kansas has gone through recently, and we were able to speak into that and give them some language about how to talk about it. One of the most pro-choice places in the world. They were like, oh, tell us how to talk about it. This is so good. And so we made a deposit there, and they made a deposit in us. And so those things are good. We don't do it a whole ton, but when, when we're gone, know that we're going and we're going on your behalf and bringing stuff back. What is true of congregations is also true of individuals. We all have something to give, and we all have something to receive. It's just an extension of how a body works. Some of you think, well, I just don't have much to offer, but you really do. Some of you probably wouldn't say it, but you look around and you go, these people don't have much to offer me. You're wrong about that too. We are far more connected in health and spiritual vitality than we could possibly imagine. Now, I loved seeing New York, 
But there's another place I would really like to see. And it's a place called the Pando Grove. Throw up this, this next slide here of the trees. There's this place in Utah. Has anybody ever heard of this, Pando Grove? Pando Grove is a 108-acre grove of aspen trees. And they're all different sizes. They're big, small, tall, big and round. They're not unlike us, okay? There's a bunch of them. The word Pando means reach, and this grove reaches up and out and down. Now, the Pando has been known to be old for many, many years. It's thousands of years old. But in the 1990s, scientists began running tests, and they realized that the DNA of the trees on the north side of this 108 acres is exactly like the DNA on the trees on the south end of the 108 acres, and on the east, and on the west, and in the middle. Scientists have determined it shares a root system. This isn't 108 acres of aspen trees. This is a 108-acre aspen tree. It is the heaviest living organism on earth. And it's fascinating because you realize, oh, this thing is way stronger than you think. The wind is not going to tear this thing out of the ground. But it's also far more, far more vulnerable than you think because something on the edge catches something, the whole thing can get sick. I wonder if Jesus looks at us sometimes and says, you don't know how strong you are and you don't know how vulnerable you are at the edges because you are far more connected as a body than you even realize. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 Paul writes, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so it is with Christ Jesus. We read that a hundred times, and we kind of take it, and we just you know, put it on the plaque, put it on the fridge, wherever, but he doesn't leave it there. He talks about this. He, some would say, belabors the point for 15 verses. He keeps rephrasing it. I could say it this way. I can say it this way. You know how it is when you tell your kids stuff and you come up with nine different sentences to say the same thing to find one that clicks? He does this for 15 verses and ends it in verse 26 when he tells them, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You are not a little solitary bush. You're a part of this big pando grove thing. We're not entirely separated from another, and our victories and our struggles belong to each other. Now, we are a particularly independent lot in this country. We're individuals. The dominant culture in this country was born with the idea that you can't tell us what to do. Now, it took us a civil war and about 100 years after that to extend that right to everybody, but that ethos had run through our country. You can't tell us what to do. We trend towards individualism, not tribalism. And I think the Lord smiled on that for a good season and allowed the gospel to run freely because of that. Now, recently, the last couple of years, political spectrum has trended more towards tribalism on both sides. It's probably hurt us in some respects because we have a lot of people who really haven't thought that much for themselves. They've just gravitated to a pole. But that hardened individualism that we've known for 250 years, which is a really great way to motivate a country, has trained us to misunderstand how we relate as a church. 
We might be fiercely independent, but it is the brilliance of God to make us in relation to him dependent on one another. We are valuable in our own right, but with the potential to do far more as a body than we do as individuals. If we've got 100 people here, as a body, we are more powerful than 100 individuals. In fact, we are unable to be fully what we are in the Lord apart from the rest of the Jesus Grove. This is how he made us. Now, I am an individualist. Some of you are going, that is an understatement of the year. My, my mentor, Steve Shogren, we just clicked so well. He used to say things back. Remember when they used to show movies on, on uh, airplanes? You go on an airplane, pull a screen down and show a movie. I remember Steve telling me one time, I never watch the movie they're showing on the plane. I always watch a movie on my laptop, even if it's the same movie. <laughs> He's like, I'm just such an individualist. I want to start it when I want to start it. I wanna, I'm like, when I heard that, I thought that makes total sense to me. I actually get that. But thinking of ourselves as individuals has led me and maybe you to sometimes feel very disconnected and unaffected by others. And that strong individualism is a cousin to consumerism, which might be a great way to run a country, but it's a terrible way to run a family. Consumerism, everyone wanting to get what is right for them, disregarding the whole. Consumerism says... Are my needs being met in this church? Same thing we ask when we go to Trader Joe's, but a very different setting. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Meet other people's needs. Consumerism says, look out for yourself. Proverbs 27.17 says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Look out for other people. See where they're weak. Strengthen them. Consumerism says, this is an actual lyric from an old gospel song. Jesus and me, were a majority. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Jesus and you are not a majority. Jesus and you are Jesus in a random bush disconnected from the grove. This morning, I want to talk specifically about giving and receiving from others, especially when it comes to gifting and anointings that other people have. Maybe you see somebody in the body and you go, I wish, I, I, whatever they have, I want some of that. That's actually a biblical idea. Some of you are thinking, I want to be like them when I grow up. Let me break it to you. You done growed up, okay? It's not going to get easier. You don't have 20 years to try and eventually catch whatever they've got. You've got to pursue it now. Here's the question. When you look around the body, when you look around the Pando Grove of Jesus, who is strong in areas that you want to be strong in and what areas are you strong in that you want to bring strength? Because our lives are woven together. And we can help one another. Going back to the Old Testament for a story, let me give you some context before we talk about the transfer of anointing between Elijah and Elisha, okay? There are parts of this story that are bizarre. And they're so bizarre that we miss the basic relational pieces of it. In this story, twice they smack a body of water and the water parts and they walk across on dry ground. 
Some of you can't get past that. Like, you have so many questions. How long did it take the ground to dry? Was that, you know, well, how did this work? Why, I, like, I can see the water parting, but I feel like I'd be up to my knees in mud. It just, it happened, okay? Two times. Same story, a chariot of fire separates them, and Elijah is taken to heaven in a whirlwind alive. However you're visualizing that, it still doesn't meet actual reality. Same story, there are floating axe heads. Axe comes off, it floats. Same story, teenagers tease a bald man and bears eat him. You want some fun? Read that to your kids' bedtime story. Good night, kids. Flip the light off, walk out. Okay, all of this happens, not that I've ever done that. Not, all of this happens in just a couple of really short chapters. And it's so easy to get caught up in the, just all the crazy stuff that's going, do we miss some of the points of it, which is a young man saw an anointing on an older man and said, whatever he has, I want it. And the older man took the time to say, if you want it, it's going to cost you, but it's worth it, and I'll help you get there. These are conversations we need to have among ourselves. Not so much the bear eating the kids thing. Not so much even the axe head floating thing. But the oh, you have something that I want, can you help me get there? And, hey, let me help you. Approximately 830 to 850 B.C., in this window before the birth of Jesus, the most feared man in the king's court is this wild man named Elijah. He is bold, he is gifted, he is notorious, and like a lot of people who accomplish great things for God, he's a little broken. We don't think about it this much. But in 1 Kings 19, 18 and 19, there are two chapters where the man calls fire down from heaven, orders the execution of 450 false prophets, and verbally announces the end of a drought before it starts to rain. And then was so struck with fear that he contemplated ending his life. Like this guy was gifted and broken. And Elijah is the mentor figure in this relationship. And the mentoree or the younger individual who is gleaning from him is Elisha. Some of you are looking for a mentor, but you're looking for the perfect mentor. Elisha could not find the perfect mentor. Elisha found this guy who was off the charts gifted and honestly right now would probably have a diagnosis. Because he goes back and forth so quickly. In one of the most famous subordinate, superior, disciple, discipler relationships in the Bible, they're still human, they still make mistakes, and they have to make allowances for one another. If you're waiting to find somebody flawless to get close to so you can learn a few things for them, that's why you haven't found anybody yet. If you are waiting until you have all of the bugs worked out of your own quirks before you start discipling somebody, that's why you haven't started yet. Because perfect mentors and mentorees don't exist, and if they did, the line behind that guy would be a thousand guys long. Discipleship or raising up others in the faith is not about being perfect, it's about pointing the way and someone else being desperate enough to take that advice. So the story finds our tragic hero here, Elijah, God's man of faith and power with bipolar tendencies. 
What else would you call it? He is looking for the right person to pour into. He's looking for a person to lead. And in context, he apparently has some options. Because in the Old Testament, there were a number of these gatherings that they called the School of the Prophets. You see them in 1 Samuel 19. talks about a group of young men that gather to prophesy and practice their gifting. And during the course of Elijah and Elisha, there was a group of the School of Prophets mentioned in Bethel and one in Jericho and one by the Jordan River. So he's got some ability to choose and apparently he chooses very well. 1 Kings 19.19. So he departed from there Put a pin in that just for a minute. Where is there? He departed from having complained to God that there were no other prophets and the Lord having to smack him upside the head and say, I have, I have actually a whole bunch of other prophets. I've got 7,000 of them hidden in caves you don't even know about. So he departed from one of his episodes and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him, passed by Elisha, and put his cloak upon him. Now understand the significance of the cloak here. Many of the Old Testament prophets wore these heavy cloaks, these heavy like sheepskin or, or something big, heavy. They were bulky, and it was a sign. It was almost a uniform. It was like the prophet uniform. And by doing this, Elijah is saying to him, I have something to give you, and it's tied to my own gifting I don't want to go to the grave with this mantle. I don't want to take the gifting and the ability that the Lord has given me and the role as a prophet. I don't want to die with it. It is good and right that at this position in life that Elijah is thinking this way. He knows he's not going to live forever. At this point, he probably knows his days are numbered. He isn't scheduling a farewell tour, okay? I'm of the age where most of the great music acts that I've followed my entire age are getting up there, you know. You know, you, you get tickets for the concert six months in advance and you hope, hope they live, you know. <laughs> and you think, and you think, maybe this season of their lives would be better spent another way. You know, maybe what we don't need is a farewell tour. We're driving home last night. My, my kids, my kids and, and Kelsey all pulled together, gave me tickets to see Bruce Springsteen in February. I hope he lives. And, and, but, but we're talking about it, and I mentioned that I've been a huge fan of him since I was 16. The guy's like the poet laureate of my, I just, he's an unbelievable writer. And, and so I've been a big fan, and on the way home, I think it was Creed said, you've been a fan of him since you were 16? Yeah. And I, I, I can hear like the gears turn. He's like, how old is he? It's like, eh, he's, he's pretty old. Elijah's not going on farewell tour. He's looking around going, while I have strength and energy, who can I invest in so that the message of my life can go further? Heaven forbid that I've spent 50 or 60 years working hard to become who I am and then we just put it in a box and lower it into the ground. He's thinking this way. He might have been a bit of a train wreck, but his priorities are right. This was the season for him to give away all that God had done in him. He was thinking about this, this spectrum that I talk about so often. He's thinking about the difference of impact or renown. Most people, their life, they want it to be about renown. They want platform. They want to be known. They want to build something. He's thinking impact even beyond his life. 
I'm in this season now, I'm thinking a lot about longevity, about the idea that the word longevity has the word long in it, but it doesn't seem long. It just doesn't. Ask anyone of any age, did it go faster than you think? They all say yes. Last week I heard, last week I heard an interview with, with Kevin Bacon, and he talked about the fact that they, were, they, videoed the, they, videoed, they, they filmed the movie Footloose 40 years ago. Some of you saw that in the theaters, okay? If you draw a line from 1945 to now, Footloose is in the middle of that line. Time flies. And if you find yourself in the September of your strength, okay? It's not, winter is not here, but it is not June 1st anymore. The number one thing on your agenda should be looking around going, who's my Elisha? Who can I find to pour into so I don't waste the 50 or 60 years of hard knocks? so that somebody else can go on and make other mistakes, but they don't have to make the ones that I made. Who are the ones that would benefit from my wisdom and with the right guidance they could carry the authority and the anointing that I have maybe eked out of somewhere and they can at least step onto the platform where I got off. So what's Elisha do? He issues this invitation. He throws his cloak over Elijah and he said, this is yours if you want it. It is an offer, it is not a command. If you've been looking for a mentor, you need to decide if you want it. Because for all the grousing that there is in the body about there not being many fathers and mothers in the church, there also needs to be a group of people willing to be sons and daughters and to learn. Malachi 4 talks about the hearts of the fathers turning to children. It also talks about the hearts of children turning to the fathers. It works both ways. Elijah did not assume Elisha was up for this. He basically tells him, hey, this has kind of wrecked my life, this coat. You want it? 1 Kings 19, 20 to 22. And he, he Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back for what have I done to you? He almost like, he makes it hard for him. He's like, uh, you know what, maybe just, go on, go on. But Elisha returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen. He's sending a message here. I am not coming back. Like I'm following to the point of, this is Cortez burning the ships, killing the oxen, I'm doing whatever I can to follow you. Says farewell to his family, sets his heart to capture all that Elijah can pour into him. And he probably knows at this point that Elijah is a piece of work. But he realizes, I can get more out of following Elijah closely than I can get out of following him at a distance. If I walk with him over time, I can glean more than if I just stand back and admire him. Nobody's discipled over Twitter. Nobody's discipled in a five-minute fist bump between worship and, and teaching. It happens over time, and it happens following closely. Now, if you are familiar with the story, you probably jump forward to the end of Elijah's life and all the drama that surrounded that, but there is a season of mentorship here that goes on. Historians tell us that Elisha walked with Elijah for six years. There's no cheat code. There's no three-week master class on becoming Elijah. For Elisha to be worthy of that mantle, 
He had to follow Elijah for six years and absorb the intangibles. There are lessons that can be learned in discipleship that don't fit on Google Forms or into curriculum. That you just got to be together. We are not separated from one another. We walk closely together. And that's what they do for six years. You know, in my early 20s, I youth pastored. And my, youth pa- my, my senior pastor was 15 years older than me. Now, so he would have been late 30s, which doesn't seem that old. However, when you're in your early 20s, the difference between like a 21-year-old youth pastor and a pastor in their late 30s is like 100 years. Okay? Like there's 100 years of growth that happens in 15 years. And one of the wisest things he used to do is he would, he would call my office and say, hey, meet me in the car. I would go get in the car. And he would never tell me where we were going until we were moving. So I wouldn't jump out. So where are we going? And he would tell me that we were going to these crazy meetings, these pastoral disasters, marriages that exploded. I remember one time he's like, you know so-and-so? Yeah, she cheated on her husband. We're going to meet. He's, she's going to tell him in the meeting that she's done. I'm like, let me out of the car. Why am I in this meeting? I'm 21. I'm dumb as a post. But I, I wouldn't say it out loud. But inside, I'm freaking out. This is the most intense thing I've ever seen, you know. Why am I in this meeting? And I'd say, what do you want me to do? He'd go, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Don't say anything. <laughs> again, we'd get there and he'd go, don't say anything. Okay, I won't say anything. It was great advice. But I remember him telling me, I, I would ask him, why do you take me along to these crazy meetings? I mean, I, bizarre stories, bizarre, weird, inter- like hostile, crazy. And he told me, because one day you're going to be pastoring, you're going to be leading these meetings, and you don't want those meetings to be the first one you've been in. I look back, that was the wisest thing he could have done. And the guy was quirky as can be, but he did that right. Just dragged me along. For six years, it's Elijah's life. Get in the car, Elijah says. Where are we going? Just get in the car. Don't say anything. Just get in the car. And it might have looked like he wasn't learning anything, but he is learning and growing. And every day he looks and he acts a little bit more like Elijah. Every day he just picks up a couple more things. If you're in the Elisha stage of life, understand that you will be most influenced by those who you follow the most closely and spend the most time with. And it's going to take an intentional spending time with someone outside of your peer group who knows more than you do to grow. And if you're at that Elijah stage of life, realize you're going to need to be intentional about pouring into those who need what you have and might even not know that they need it. It may mean bringing them along for years when they don't add anything to the meeting, but they're just with you. This is way more complicated than just grabbing coffee and tell me all you know. This is life on life so that weaknesses reveal themselves and you can build one another up. And you can say, oh, I'm a part of this big grove and that one little stick over there needs some propping up. Fast forward six years. It's common knowledge. Elijah is at the end of his earthly life. It's not clear how everybody knows it, but it's true. Second Kings 2, 1 through 3. 
The Lord was about ready to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. He's like, yeah, don't, you don't need to make the whole trip. It's a long ways. There's nothing to eat there. Just, you know, stay here. Long trip. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. I'm going to follow you as far as you go. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord is going to take away your master from you? We don't know how they know this, but they're aware. It's the end of his life. He says, I know. Keep it quiet. We don't know how these prophets knew, but clearly it had been a topic of conversation. Elijah's going somewhere, and they want to come and tell, hey, Elisha, you know, if you were wanting to drop out of the internship, it might be a good time. There's really no need to finish this. You've got 90% of what you're going to learn anyway. I mean, what else is going to happen here? There comes a time in the mentor-mentoree relationship where it might feel easier to disengage. Let me just encourage you, stay faithful and walk it out. God has chosen people for you to walk with, and the longer you walk with them, those years are graduatedly more impressive on your life. Meaning, you walk with someone over 10 years, you learn way more on years 6 through 10 than you do 1 through 5. It's just the nature of relationship. And you grow and you invest. This, this is why cancel culture scares me. Because we have a tendency to write people off and we just write people out of our lives right and left. And th- we're way more connected. We just can't do that. Someone who wants to receive a mantle from someone does not abandon them when the scene grows dark. Jesus himself knew what it was like to have followers follow him and then walk away at the last moment. It's not hard to imagine that at this point, Elijah might have needed Elisha as much as Elisha needed Elijah. He's old. I mean, he's, he's having a hard time getting around. And they are walking together interdependent even though they are not equal. Elisha would have never said, I'm an equal with Elijah. But they were interdependent at this point. If Elijah wanted to see his anointing last, he needed Elisha. And if Elisha wanted to inherit the mantle, he needed Elijah. We think way too much about equality and not enough about interdependence. We we think way too much about, are we all on the, does everybody feel good? Does everybody feel safe? Are we all on the same level? And way not enough about the fact that we need one another and there are people further along in the journey than you. Now, Elijah has some idea that his departure is going to be dramatic, okay? And he keeps pressing Elisha back, you know, just, you know, he's like, almost like he wants to go off by himself. If I were Elijah, I would be gathering a crowd and selling tickets. Like, this would be my farewell tour, okay? But Elijah's just beyond it all. He wants to go be with God. He's not sure that he wants Elisha burdened with all that comes with the life of being a prophet. You understand things later in ministry you don't understand earlier. And he actually is maybe trying to spare Elisha some of that. He says, I'm going to Jericho, I'm going to Jordan. Yet Elisha is resolute and he continues to pursue because he wants to follow him to the end and receive this mantle. 2 Kings 2, 7 and 8. 50 men of the sons of prophets also went out and stood at some distance from them and they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water, the water was parted, 
to one side and to the other. The two of them could go across on dry ground. You can almost hear Elisha. That crazy thing is going to be mine. Like, at some point, that coat is going to be mine, and I'm going to follow him as far as I have to. I don't care how crazy it gets. The man carries authority, and I want it. Next verse. Then after they had crossed, Elijah says to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken for you. They are right at the very end. He looks and he goes, all right, you followed me for six years. What do you want? Elisha says, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, I think we misinterpret that a little bit. Because we, to us, double means twice as many. Okay? All right. Well, you killed 450 prophets? I'm going to kill 900 prophets. Like, that's double, you know. It's everything going to be twice as crazy. He is talking about a double portion in the nature of being a firstborn son that he would carry on the values and the ethos and the anointing of his father longer in history than his father would. He's not necessarily saying, I want to be twice the crazy man you were. He's saying, I want to carry your message twice as far as it would go without you. That's what he's asking for. Young people, be those with whom we can trust our accumulated wisdom and anointing so that you can carry things further than we have. Those of you that are carrying things, and some of you don't even realize you are, but you've been faithful for the Lord for years, and you have so much wisdom to share with those that are younger. Be looking now for the ones that can carry that beyond your grave. That's not morbid thinking. That's just thinking. Second Kings 2.10. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, so shall it be for you. And if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Elijah has a frank conversation. He goes, this is going to cost you. Elisha, in order to wear this mantle, it means you're going to need to walk the path all the way to the end. And you're going to need to be willing when I'm gone to be misunderstood for being a prophet in the nation. You're going to need to be willing to be irritated by authority or be an irritation to authorities. It's going to mean you're going to feel more alone than you ever could imagine. Elisha may have complained later in life, but if he ever did, it wasn't because he wasn't warned. It wasn't because his mentor didn't spell it out clearly to him. If we are raising a generation that thinks everything should be free and easy, we've got to admit that we told them everything would be free and easy. And Elijah does not make this mistake with Elisha. Godly transfer of anointing includes transfer of understanding of what it means to be this and to walk this way. My heart is really being stirred about how much I erroneously erroneously expect to happen by osmosis and not by direct leadership. Like, stirring me with my own children. It's like, I, I have to get more hands-on and not just assume that because they're near me, it's going to rub off. I'm going to ask if Rachel would come. As they went on and they walked, this is Second Kings 2, 11 to 14. As they went on and walked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. 
Then he took a hold of his clothes, he tore them in pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan, and he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen and struck the water, saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to one side, and Elisha went over. And a whole new chapter starts in the story of God, but it's not detached from the first chapter. It's the same mantle. None of our stories are completely detached from somebody else. And when we are gone, if we lead well, our story doesn't end. When a father in the faith does his job, when a mother in the faith does their job, when a son or a daughter pays the price to follow, there is no change in the anointing that happens in their lives. 2 Kings 2.15 now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them. Remember, they just saw them go one way. Elisha and Elijah just went that way. And Elisha walks back. They looked at him and they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. It worked. It worked. Body life, faith on faith, knowing one another intricately, discipleship, mentoring it works and it works in eternity stand with me if you would I want to go back into worship for a couple of minutes but as we do I want to challenge you to begin asking who in my life has a gifting or an anointing that I want to develop and what do I need to do to get close to him? And am I willing to pay the price? And what is in my life that I might be able to give away? Because some of you are already thinking, of, as the church is over, I'm going to make a beeline for that person. I'm going to beg them in light of this message, will you lead me? And there are going to be two coming behind you and you're going to think, I don't know anything. You know more than you think you do. Father, we thank you that in your brilliance, we are not disconnected, that we are one family, we are one grove, connected by a system of roots. And I ask right now for the Elijahs in the room to rise up and to take seriously the call to hand off all that you have put in them to the next generation. Father, I call the Elishas in the room to find that person, to get near that person, to follow them at any cost. Lord, we don't have to start our spiritual walk back from zero. listen to this some of this has struck you and at any age you are you're sensing I need this I, I have either I've got some things to give or I've got some things I, I've got gaps I know that just raise your hand for a second we just want to pray for you right where you're, where you're at you're resting with that oh how do I lead who do I lead 
Who do I follow? These these are huge questions, folks. And he wants to answer these questions. There are programs that can help with this, but without a desire and a willingness to pay the price, the programs don't matter. So Father, right now, I pray that those with raised hands that are saying, yes, I want to hand off what you've given to me. I don't want it to fall to the ground. Or, Lord, I see the gaps in my life and I want to find that person to follow. Would you move in their lives, God? Answer the cry of their heart. In Jesus' name.